All right, well, welcome back to another episode of the Live Love Local podcast with me, your host, Darren Langill. Today is episode nine. Uh, in today's episode, I get the absolute pleasure and honor to interview one of Calgary's most high profile businessmen. He's uh, an entrepreneur extraordinaire, to say the least, a huge advocate for the small business community, a best selling author a former dragon from CBC's Dragon's Den, a proud philanthropist, a father to three, grandfather, and somebody I have personally admired for a long time. Plus, he throws a heck of a mean garden party. Well, at least pre-pandemic he did. Uh, today's guest, if you haven't figured it out, is none other than Mr. Brett Wilson. Uh, in today's episode, you'll hear a discussion him and I had discussing kind of a whole bunch of things. The state of overall Calgary as a whole. How are we doing? What us as entrepreneurs should be thinking about and doing right now? How big business should be giving us clues as small business? We cover some light politics, continued barriers to improving our oil and gas sector, that big black cloud that continues to seem to hover over us, renewables, elderly care, and more. I hope you enjoy this 25-minute conversation with him. Now, one bit of advice for this episode is you may just need to turn up your volume a tad after I complete this introduction more than other episodes because the audio recorded with a severe volume difference between him and I, which we fixed as well as we could post. So let's get right to it. It's an incredible honor to have you with us, as I know you're you're a man with relentless uh, and a very important schedule. So welcome to the Live Love Local podcast, Brett. Well, and I was intrigued by the opportunity, so thank you. Yeah, well, that's great. I mean, I just reached, and for those listening, I just literally reached out to you, and it just shows how accessible you are, which isn't always the case with somebody of, of your stature. So thank you for that, and it's 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 the welcome welcome kind of dynamic that social brings to the world. And I appreciate that you spend your time on there too. Brett, as I messaged you, I discussed earlier that I started this podcast was to put a bit of a spotlight on all things Calgary. Um, as a small business owner myself, I feel like this connection to entrepreneurship, uh, local talent pool, people, artists, politicians, celebrities like yourself and more. And you're a guy that kind of checks all of those boxes and many others that I didn't uh, bring up. <laughs> how, I wanted to ask you a general Calgary question. How do you think as Calgary we're doing right now? Like how is Calgary handling things? Well, boy, I wasn't expecting that question, but it's certainly going to be one of my favorites. Um, so Calgary's built in a microcosm of Canada and then the West and then Alberta and of course Calgary. And, um, you know, you, you can answer that question from many levels. I'm really frustrated by our role in Canada and Confederation. I don't think Calgary or Alberta or the West gets the respect it deserves. And that's a big picture thing. It's a big picture on transfer payments, a big picture on pipelines, big picture on infrastructure, big picture on you know, how we're growing renewables in a, you know, with inappropriate subsidies is my comment there. So Canada struggles a little bit in terms of our role in Confederation. Then Alberta, 
I'm a big fan of what we're trying to do in terms of repositioning Alberta, and so I'm a fan of Kenny. Um, I'm in close contact with the uh, the separation separatist groups, and I sometimes joke with them, saying, "I'm on side with separation, but it's Quebec that should separate." You know, they've been the whiny child, they've been the uh, special child uh, of Canada, and you know, I'm half French by birth on both sides, so I I respect my heritage but I don't respect the whiny child. I don't respect the special deals that they've got. And we just want a fair deal in Alberta. So it goes back to, I like the approach we're taking. I don't think separation is necessary. It's a reconfiguration of our role in confederation. So that picture. Then we get down to Calgary. I think we've been ineptly managed. I'm a huge fan of the Jeremy Farkas um, test the norms, don't accept any. I mean, there's lots of things Jeremy says and does I don't agree with, but I love that he's willing to take on the, the establishment. I'm willing, and then he, he puts up with, I've sat in several council meetings and I watch the literally it's bullying on the part of other members of council, particularly the guy in the big seat and just abusive bullying is the way I would describe it. Um, and that's my perspective and it's certainly one I'm entitled to, but Farkas puts up with it. And again, I do the same thing on social media. I put up with it, but I don't even hear it. I just ignore it. Whereas Farkas has to listen to it because he sits in council. Um, I'm a huge fan of several of the councillors, but you know, we had money set aside to build a field house five years ago. And that was talked about when they were trying to do a bid for the Olympics. And I call that a doomed to fail bid. I was never a fan of the 2026 Olympics. I was a fan of the 2030 Olympics. Let's build the infrastructure that Calgary needs to host the Olympics instead of a hope and a prayer that we might get an Olympics and then build all these things. We needed a new arena. That's finally underway, but the mayor fought it. It would have been finished by now if the mayor had come around to a reasonable perspective. That's all we're talking about. And as he kept saying, I'm never going to give a penny to the billionaires who run the flames. Well, actually, the flames gave 200 or 300 million to the city to build the arena. And even if you only use 3% inflation, that arena, $600 million cost in 30 years time is worth a billion dollars. People say, oh, you're gonna to have to tear it down in 30 years. I'm a part owner of the Nashville Predators. We just extended our naming rights for 30 years on a 30 year old building. We didn't do that because we're planning to tear down the building and name a parking lot. We have a 60 year life and a runway for more. Why? Because it was well-designed and well-maintained. Calgary Saddledome looked pretty, stupid design, right from day one, stupid design. Pinch points, they had no they had no um, uh, upper levels, they, I mean, the highest level, they put, they thought that was really cute to put all those service boxes up. Anyway, we could have had an arena, we should have had a, um, um, a um, uh, field house, and all of the other infrastructure that you need to build out. Um, you know, we've got Canada Olympic Park is failing, relative to the commitment that's been made to it. So I'm just not a fan. And we see property taxes, Inglewood, Kensington, Cal, um, 17th Avenue have been decimated by doubling and tripling of property taxes in less than a decade. And, you know, as you know, how, as you probably know, as most people know, half the budget of running the city of Calgary is, is salary. Not once has our council been willing to take on the salary issue. You know, if you drop salaries 3%, 4%, I had to drop salaries in most of my businesses, those that I could keep alive. So as an entrepreneur, I had to suffer. Of Calgary, the West, Alberta, Canada, I choose to live in Calgary because I genuinely believe in the people and the opportunity that's here. 
And maybe I'm a delusional optimist, but I'm a happy delusional optimist. Well, that was one of my questions. You, you literally do run businesses all over. You could pick and choose to do this. And I was going to say, why are you still here in Calgary? What is that? What, it, it is just this love for this, this province. There's an embedded thought that this is where my family is. But having said that, my son and his partner live in Brisbane, Australia. And I have a daughter who's developed a, a lodge, bed and breakfast, whatever, outside of Pemberton near Whistler. And I do have a daughter who's here with uh, a couple of grandkids. And uh, I'm blessed that all of my kids have partners that I'm as crazy in love with as I have my own children. So we've got a, a wonderful group in that sense. But, you know, Calgary is always, and I've described it to my kids as a great base camp. You know, when I divorced 20 years ago, I used travel as my connecting tool. And in particular, my son and I have been to more than 50 countries together. And um, the daughters who are older, I didn't get to travel as much with them, but it'd still be 30 countries. That's a lot. But I took, you know, in the weeks that I had the kids, we'd go anywhere in the world, Hong Kong and Beijing for a week, Moscow and St. Petersburg for a week. And, you know, we'd jump on and uh, sit in the back of the plane and fly across the ocean and sleep on each other's shoulders and uh, go see the world. And that was my goal was to show my kids that Calgary is one of the greatest base camps in the world. Even if you don't like everything about Calgary, you know, is it too spread out? Is it too, too condensed? I, I live in the inner city. I have a home in the belt, just off Beltline. My offices are just off Beltline. You know, I could probably, other than running to the airport and out to Windermere in British Columbia, I could probably say that the circle of my life is, is Beltline. Right. Yeah, fair enough. What would you, I mean, this could be open up a rabbit hole, but I mean, what would you tell entrepreneurs right now? I know you're a big advocate for entrepreneurship and you've put a lot of energy back from your TV days to what you do and the startups you support. Like, what does an entrepreneur need to hear in this city right now? Well, there has to be a belief in the future. And uh, I've always had that. You know, I thought the oil prices would recover sooner than they did. And then COVID came along, made that recovery longer. And but I've always had the long game in mind. And I love building buildings. I love building projects. I love building businesses. So all of those things tie together. But why Calgary and what next? Well, I mean, care of the elderly, an aging population. We've already defined or we've already discovered that we do a terrible job of caring for the elderly. When you look at the percentage of the COVID deaths, you know, we as a community should have done a lot better job. And I mean, community across Canada, you know, the percentage of those who died in, Elf in the old folks homes is terrible. And of course, that's because people go in and out, but we should have rethought. I don't have the answers, don't get me wrong. Um, but we should have done a better job of looking after the elderly. And then job one last March, when we realized that this, this COVID was, uh, this virus was going to take over the world. And again, the predictions were there right back in March, when we first shut down businesses, we first did the focus on vaccines should have been a greater priority. And really the Canadian government's done a terrible job on its vaccine access, but you know, they're, they're building a building right now in order to build vaccines. They're building a building right now. This is a year later. And are they building a structure building that could be put up in six weeks, like a sprung structure? No, they're building a permanent structure. And this is to put a temporary solution in place for these vaccines. So incompetence has been taken to levels never imagined in terms of the vaccine pursuit. So care of the elderly and care of the, uh, the vaccine procurement is clearly where we've failed as a, as a country. Um, we had lots of issues with 
every level of government. But <laughs> yeah, are you going to ever get into that? Is that part of your world? Is is politics in your future or no? In, in a funny way, yes and no. Do I plan to run to be the leader of any level of government? No, I don't want to take the time that has to be taken. There's a temptation to sit at the table, federal or provincial, and to influence outcomes. That's tempting. But I find that I can be more effective working community, working family, friends, partners, businesses. I can do all of that from the outside. And am I in regular touch with more than one cabinet minister right now? Absolutely. In more than one province? Yeah. You know, Alberta and Saskatchewan are my homeland. So I think I can influence hopefully in a logical and thoughtful way um, from the outside because I choose to, you know, I'm active in social media, Twitter, I drop more F-bombs than I need to, but there's days when I just have no choice. Last summer, Nenshi took me down uh, during a social media blast, but you know, he was, again, that went away. It took a week and it was gone. Right. Apologized. And in hindsight, I probably apologized sooner than I had to, (laughs) but it was to let the noise die. And now I'm giving him him as much grief as I ever have. I'm not a fan of Nenshi now. I was one of his biggest fans in his first term. First term, Mm. he went anti-Uber. I went anti-Nenshi because I believe. I remember that. Well, City of Calgary should have been out looking for Ubers, not shutting down Ubers. We should have had half a dozen millennials. If he's going to hire anyone, put five 20 to 25-year-olds in a room and tell them, go find businesses that we might want in Calgary based on social, based on their business model in the gig economy and Uber and, uh, you know, VRBO and others. I mean, we could be launching these things in a big way. But no, he went anti-Uber, which was one of the great platforms. Like or hate Uber itself, the platform has relevance. And he went anti. And that's when I lost interest in this council's approach because it was partly the bureaucracy fighting it, not insured, all these things. 200 cities in the world had Uber and we're telling them that they don't have a, a working business model. So coming from the group of people who increase our taxes 5 to 10% a year, I don't think so. Group of people who haven't figured out how to control salary costs, I don't think so. And they're going anti-Uber and pro-Olympics. Pro-Olympics, we're one of seven. You know what? I actually saw a local business leader who was part of the Olympic pitch saying that we believe we've got the inside track. How often do you have the inside track and announce it so that the other six people bidding on the Olympics go, Oh, that guy in Calgary's got the inside track. We better give up. I don't think so. See, I'm a born and bred Albertan engineer schooled, grew up in Fort McMurray from zero to childhood. So I've always been near and dear to oil and gas. As I know you, there's very few further immersed than you. And we've had this ugly narrative thrown our way and overshadowed everything for so long. Like what can change this? Is there anything that can, can, can adjust this to achieve some positivity around this? Well, that goes back to the big picture of the science. And, you know, right now, the science on, for example, lockdowns and vaccine and COVID, you get a group of doctors who say we have to lock down. You get a group of doctors who say there's no point in locking down. So there's the professionals on opposite sides of the discussion. Now we get to climate change. We get to CO2. People talk about, I can find, you can find articles talking about CO2 is a noxious killing gas. Well, no, it's the essence of how plants survive. They take CO2 and convert it to oxygen. I mean, they need CO2. So there we've got professionals on every side of this equation. I'm a cynic. 
I happen to believe that I think we're in a long-term climate cycle. You know, 10,000 years ago, where were you and I are sitting in Calgary, there was 2,000 feet of, pardon me, there was two miles of ice, 10,000 feet of ice. So the climate's changed and it'll continue to change. Do I worry about the two Ps for me? Population and pollution. Those are the two issues for me. And we need to control pollution. We absolutely need to control pollution. And is that plastic that goes as waste into the ocean? Yes. But do we stop producing plastic or do we stop people throwing plastic in the ocean? Right. So it comes for me in a, I mean, you see truckloads of in Indonesia, a truck will back up to an ocean and dump its garbage right in. So the, the, the garbage that's floating in the oceans didn't come from North America for the most part. My guess is it's 2% us, 98% the rest of the world. So, but yet we're the ones shutting down our plastic or our plastic work. So our plastic production makes no sense. So I'm, again, pollution, controlling the environment, the waste, waste air, waste to water, waste to land, all of those things matter to me. Why? Because I'm a grandfather. I care about the world that my grandchildren are coming into. So pollution's a big issue. The other is unthoughtful and it's a, you know, an elephant in the room, but it's population expansion and explosion. Do we need right. populations exploding in the slums of Nairobi and Port-au-Prince and, uh, and um, jo Johannesburg? It doesn't make sense. People are being born without hope. And if you don't have hope, I'm wondering why. So, you know, it's not that I, you know, <laughs> the Pope and condoms and I don't all agree, but uh, we need to control our population in places where there's no hope. Everyone has the right to have children. I'm not going to argue that for a moment. But if there's no hope, what are we doing? Let's take a hard look. So pollution and population are the two issues that I cha I'm challenged by. CO2 isn't my issue. Right. So that to change the narrative, if, if like everything you're saying, fact-based, science-based, but yet for no good reason, we just can't get past this, na this narrative. Do you see an end in sight to that? Where it's like, sure, we continue to do the right things. We stop the right things. But this narrative doesn't get shut off. I mean, is there a way to turn that thing off or is it just like, what do you feel like? Cause you're on the inside and you're pushing that mountain. Well, certainly, and you know, we know Cody's pushing and we've got the, the government of Alberta has the energy center. People are criticizing the energy center for defending our business. Right. <laughs> I, just, I just shake my head at the attacks that come at the Canadian energy center because it defends what we do for a living. You know, just it's it's unfathomable that people have the yeah. time to attack how I make my living. Yeah. You know, again, energy, by the way, oil and gas is a tiny sliver of what I do now. But I'm still, right, I'm still right. connected to it, very tied to it. So, but you keep hoping that logical thought, critical thinking, right. and time, where you know, you pull headlines from Al Gore, the Arctic and the Antarctic were going to be ice free by 2020. Well, now it's 2030 and in 2030, it'll be 2040. They just keep carrying this lie, this narrative where they make up data. You're starting to see articles that say that the, um, um, the size of the forest in Borneo is shrinking by 1% a year. And in 2021, pardon me, in 2100, so 80 years from now, the forest will is forecast to be half the size it is now. You can't forecast that. Nobody can, but they call them experts because, you know, they're a university professor. Well, I got to tell you, there's university professors who graduated at the bottom of their class. 
and that might be why they're a university professor and not working out in the real world with you not in industry yeah yeah <laughs> any lessons that you i know i don't have a lot of time here any lessons from big business that you wish that you're seeing these big trends because of covid and the changes to the world that should the small business owner be aware of that you can think of that we're missing the boat on because you're seeing these big giant companies have to adjust but these little guys probably could adjust in a tenth the speed and we might be missing the boat well one of the big picture ones is the criticisms that i see or the, the headlines about how business has come to adapt to working from home and that's going to affect the long-term validity of downtown office towers. It's going to undermine the travel and transportation grids that we've put in place. And I'm calling hogwash. I think that's another mainstream media headline. Retail can't work from home. They can fill and fulfill, but the people working in the stores and the Amazon has a bunch of people working, fulfilling. They don't just have people on computers. They have people working. So trades, you can't build a building online. <laughs> I'm sorry, 3D printing, I get it, but you're not going to build and finish a building or a home or a road. So the trades, the retail, all sorts of jobs. The other comment I would make about working from home, it's virtually impossible to advance your career working from home. And start people start to think about that. Uh, the other thing is the value proposition for me in bringing my team together, uh, we have a problem to solve. And I don't put five people, it's, it's a random moment where we're sitting chatting, but we need that interpersonal dialogue. It's not a matter of seeing who can be on Zoom today and we'll see if we can brainstorm an idea. It, it can be done, yes, but can it be done better? Absolutely, and that's where personal interaction, you know, frankly, we're not set up to have people advance or run their careers from home. It just isn't on. And that's, a, that's a unique point, I like that. Yeah, thank you for that. That's a great share. Um, I mean, when you're looking across the world as it's growing, if you had a million bucks today, which sectors are you putting that into? Would you comment on that? Like where between tech and oil and farm and food and I mean, where where would Brett, you know, where do you see the world going? This kind of medium term where you would throw that out there and you're doing this in life anyways. But well, I think there's room for a chain of um, a chain franchise of um, electric vehicle maintenance and sales. And I'm saying three wheels or less. So not cars, but three wheels, two wheels, and little ATVs, I mean, recreational vehicles for sure. But just upping the game in terms of having a place to go to where you're gonna get your electric bicycle serviced, your electric scooter serviced, your electric um, motorcycle serviced, and then the two wheel, three wheel, four wheel, all those things. So I think there's a real opportunity and nobody's taken that on because it's still very much a ma and pa industry. You know, a, a local bike shop will add bicycles, add electric bikes. A local ATV dealer will add a couple of electric things. So I think there's an opportunity in there, but the taking care of the electric transformation, and I'm in the business of producing electricity. I understand the value, but to, I'm also a bit cynical that electricity pardon me, electric cars don't solve our planet's problems because you still have to make the car, you have to make the batteries, you have to dispose of it. You know, the windmills of this world, there's no simple way of disposing of those and they only have a 20 year life. So there's some, there's some hypocrisy embedded in the belief that electric cars are the solution. But I'm talking about electric transportation as a business. The other elderly, right. the fact that we've proven we haven't done a very good job 
of taking care of the elderly means that there's a greater opportunity for high-end, low-end, entry-level, whatever, care of the elderly. Makes sense. Yeah, we had Vitality at Home. I don't know if you know that company, local tech startup caters and amazing just to see what her businesses had to go through during this, of course, um, but to see the evolution of where it could be going is really neat. And, uh, and they call themselves a tech startup, but they're like, you're talking, they're, they're a relationship business to cater to our most vulnerable. Now, Brett, um, I know, I, I think I've taken even more time than I was supposed to. So, but I appreciate your point of view. I love uh, watching and following, and I love how open you are out there on social media. Is that what's the best place to follow all things Brett? Well, I've isolated a very little Facebook. So again, my ranting and provo provocation <laughs> is done on Twitter, and then I celebrate this new restaurant that I'm involved with and my dog on Instagram. And let's be clear, I have a bit of help running both of those platforms, but. Uh, uh, <laughs> It allows me leverage. You know, sometimes my staff will say, hey, here's one you want to look at in terms of someone ranting or taking a view or attacking me. And I'm perfectly okay with those attacking. Where I get a kick is the anonymous trolls. Like what, really? As an anonymous troll, you think that you're saying your views have any relevance to anyone except your mother? You know, fold the keyboard, go back in the crib. It doesn't, it just serves no purpose. Anyway, I genuinely believe that social media is a connecting tool. You have to respect what it does and why it does it. And I think that um, the big tech have made a big mistake trying to control who's going to be on and who's not going to be on. If they're going to allow anonymous trolls and they're going to allow the leaders of our, call it the non-democratic states. So we know that, you know, Central, uh, Middle Eastern bad guys all have access. And yet, because Trump can influence outcomes, he gets taken off. Am I a fan of Trump the man? No, but I was a fan of Trump the leader in terms of what he was trying to do. Um, you know, he put he put Keystone back on the on the plate, and Biden killed it, and Obama killed it, and frankly, Trudeau hasn't done much to help our country. <laughs> no rabbit holes we could take you down. Are we going to find you on Clubhouse or TikTok? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, thanks. I know again today, thank you so much for spending time and reaching back to me. I really appreciate a little old podcaster and a little local business guy like myself. I'm a huge fan. I appreciate your time and uh, it was an honor. So thank you so much for being on our podcast, Brett. I look forward to a physical handshake. Thank you. Absolutely. There you go. All right. Cheers. Have a great day. Well, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this fun conversation I had with Brett. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Live Love Local podcast with me, your host, Darren Langill. Now, if there is somebody you think would make an absolute great guest on our show, please don't hesitate to reach out so I can connect the dots. Otherwise, if you like what you've been hearing, I'd love if you completed a review as it helps more people in our local market get exposed to these great local business and people spotlight conversations in here in this city that we love and of course our surrounding borders. So thanks again for listening. I appreciate your attention. Until next time, stay warm Calgary, stay safe.